0: In the 1950s, a group of psychologists began to write and promulgate theories and ideas related to the pursuit of happiness and flourishing. Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow, and a few others among them had felt for a long time that psychology had been consumed with what was going wrong instead of what could go right. As Martin Seligman noted decades later in the first sentence of his book, Authentic Happiness... For the last half century, quote, psychology has been consumed with a single topic only, mental illness. In doing so, the field had been marred with a lack of recognition that people often find ways to seek out contentment, resiliency, and meaning, even in the face of difficult obstacles. The idea put forth was not a new one. For millennium, traditions of many kinds have spoken of this pursuit. The Israelites believed that happiness came in response to following the commands and rules put forth by Yahweh. The Greeks sought contentment through logic and analysis. Jesus and his message has always been about the source of joy for all Christians. In Islam, happiness comes from a contented heart that can be found in the remembrance and pleasure of God himself. And even many of a Western existence seek out hedonistic practices in the idea that pleasure is the source of happiness. Welcome back to this is Dr. Jim Schrader and it is now one of our three final episodes of living a whole Christian life. What a great journey it's been with all of you and I just feel so blessed to connect with you in this way. We've spent so much time over the last number of weeks and months covering what we consider to be the framework and foundation of living a whole Christian life. We've entered into those Christian rooms of our home, those dimensions of the psychological world, of the physical world, the social world. And even last week, we took on more and more great, more detail, the idea of human suffering and, and what do we do with this and how do we reconcile the questions that we don't understand and how do we reconcile where we go from the suffering and trauma that we may have felt. But today, as we enter into our final podcast, we're going to focus on one of the most common human desires and pursuits, and that is the pursuit of happiness. In fact, for those living in the United States, this pursuit is literally enshrined as an unalienable right in the Declaration of Independence as our country was founded. There was a sense from the very beginning that we should all have the right to pursue happiness in the way that we're called. And so it literally has kind of become part of the fabric, I think, from a very early age, you heard that. And we, we think about that throughout our lives. But here's our question for today. And that is, just what happiness are we seeking? So one of the original researchers that I mentioned, Dr. Martin Seligman, proposed through a number of studies, through kind of a you know decades-long research with he and uh, his other fellow colleagues, that we really go about... Three major routes to happiness. The first route is what we consider to be kind of pleasure and positive emotion. It's really the the pleasurable or pleasant life. So you can think about this, whether it's the holiday time or wherever you're at right now, that sense of just eating great food, right? The feeling of pleasure that comes from just that momentary source of goodness that you feel, whether you feel it in your heart, your mind, your body, wherever it's at, just the sense of kind of the pleasure. And that was one route to happiness. The second they found is what's considered engagement or the engaged life, right? This is the engagement with others and the world around us, kind of the engagement in the experiences of our lives. So you think about the times where you had felt the happiness just sharing a conversation with someone else and the sense of kind of engaging around where you connect or maybe the differences that you have and coming to just feel a, a sense of positivity, nothing more than just the the interaction, the conduit, that social dimension coming together. So that's very much what we think about with the engaged life. And the third route that was proposed was meaning, the meaningful life. We've talked a lot about this in the podcast, but the sense, you know, for example, of mattering to others, maybe through our service or just feeling a sense of meaning about, you know, the experiences that we have. So what's interesting is that when they looked at all these different, these three different routes, what they found was that those who were most content, most happy, really did seek out experiences through each of these routes, but with a heavier emphasis on engagement and meaning that clearly seemed to be important in many ways as we go in search of happiness. Now, what's interesting about this is that while all cultures and creeds, all people of the world seek out happiness or contentment through these channels, there's also another way, another current where we overlap, right? You know, we often get focused on the differences that we have between uh, people throughout the world. But it's kind of remarkable how much similarity we share, not only in our pursuit of happiness, but actually our remarkable similarity in another massive area, and that is the area of virtue. Seligman and his colleagues, as they were going through what eventually became known as the movement of positive psychology, Found that regardless of race or creed or practice or experience, virtue really remains virtue. And then there's six universal virtues that emerged across the world, no matter where you found yourself, you know, in the lower tip of South America, in the middle of Southeast Asia, way up in the middle, way up in Siberia and Russia, these six universal virtues emerged, and within them. They were composed of ultimately what was 24 character strengths, again, found across the world, no matter where you lived and what community you came from. And the six virtues are these. The first is search for wisdom and knowledge. You think about this. How much is that valued throughout all of cultures and creeds? There's always a sense of desiring to know more, right? The sense of not only having knowledge, but through knowledge, acquiring greater wisdom, about the way the world works, and greater wisdom about kind of the, the realities of life. So that's the first of the virtues. The second is the sense of fortitude or courage, that that idea that we supersede our fears in something in going in search of something greater, right? That sense of just deep courage that we find, and not just our physical courage, you know, when we might be kind of putting ourselves in, in harm's way, but even psychological courage, the courage to say something or or think about something, or I should maybe even say social courage, in light of you know, persecution that we might face, in light of just things that we might feel uncomfortable. I was sitting in, in church last night listening to Homily by Father Tyler, and he was talking about this idea of, of courage here, where so many times throughout our lives— You know, we know that we should probably say something about an area that's just not appropriate or, or something that we don't feel comfortable with. But very often we shy away from that, not because the value doesn't exist, but because fear reigns supreme. But the second virtue, again, is courage or fortitude. The third is a sense of humanity. It's a sense of kind of deep care and compassion and empathy for people, even those who differ from us widely. And again, as you notice, as we're going through these virtues, very often we don't necessarily get to where we're wanting to go, but we all have these values. We all have this sense that, you know, there's this unconditional positive regard we talk about in psychology, which relates to this idea of humanity, that all people have this inestimable value that no one can assign, that no one on earth can give them. It it, it rises above that. And so through that we sense that this through humanity, we feel empathy and compassion for other people who may look different again, but really share so much of the similar plight as all of us. The fourth virtue is the sense of justice, the sense of doing what's right, the sense of no matter what's occurring, that we stand up for things that don't just matter, but are, are the way they should be, right? And the sense that you think about like our, even our A judicial system found in the sense of justice, right? It's such a core virtue that across the world is shared, even if it's not necessarily embraced oftentimes in our actions. But the idea is that there should be a right place in this world that people can pursue. There should be something that's founded on more than just getting what you want and more than just desire itself, but what is just. The fifth is temperance. And, you know, you think about temperance and you think about like conservation in our worlds. Temperance isn't just our own temperate um, actions when we don't overconsume; We're not gluttonous, right? We're not you know, slothful, but it's also related to our world, the sense of temperance and using God's resources in the way that we should use them and not just kind of expending them for the purpose of expending them. I think about years ago, I often grew up very fascinated with the Western culture and the Native American culture. And one of the things that saddened me was to think about, as settlers are moving west, very often, like when it came to the buffalo, I mean, they literally almost extinguished the buffalo. There was no sense of humanity or I should say sense of temperance, but just doing it for fun oftentimes, often leaving the carcasses on the plains and letting them go. And that is certainly the exact opposite of the idea of temperance here. And finally, the value of, or I should say the virtue of transcendence permeates our world. Every culture, every creed has this idea that we are more than just what we appear to be. We're more than even just our neurons and our tissue and everything else um, that we can transcend and we are called to transcend our humanly existence. And so I think this is really neat to consider, you know, that no matter where you're at, not only is the search for happiness and contentment run through three major channels that we all share, but the search for virtue is very similar. And I mentioned this idea that not only are do we have six universal virtues, but we also have within them 24 character strengths. So for example, the virtue of courage is composed of the character strengths of authenticity and bravery and persistence and zest. And I encourage you to check this out more, not only through the research, I've got more in my book, Holiness, uh, the Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness in Heaven. But the key is here is that they, these virtues, these character strengths are available to all, exclusive to none. And they really are universal in a way that helps us not only like connect with each other, not only connect with our world, not only preserve and enhance what we've been given, but I would argue also maybe the key to unlocking pleasure and engagement and meaning for our worldwide pursuit of happiness. So in light of all this, We have to ask again, just what happiness are we seeking? And are we seeking it for now, later, or for eternity? I've thought about this many times over the last couple decades. You know, the question is, where are we seeking it out? And what kind of happiness? I mean, we all want to be contented. We all want to be even joyful. But I I think about what if we could find the contentment and happiness that we desire through virtue and character strengths and unite with each other in this striving? In our current divisive world, just imagine how remarkable that would be if that was our first priority is to seek out virtue is to seek out these character strengths in a way that we came to believe that not only would we find happiness and, and contentment through the process, but that in the process itself, we would connect with other people who share very much the similar goals, right? Like, for example, what about in being just? If I could, A, just feel pleasure in making the right decision, B, engage with others in a gratifying way, you know, when I'm seeking out justice in this world, and C, find meaning that my actions mattered to other people through those, that sense of having a pleasurable life, an engaged life, and a meaningful life. I think that, you know, if you if you really get into this research, into this idea, you start to find that. Whether it's a sense of awe, I feel, or whether it's a sense of empathy, whether it's a sense of the self-control or engagement, whatever it is, there is so much happiness and contentment that we can find in this pursuit that we really don't have to go anywhere else. I know this might seem naive or maybe it seems a little, again, Pollyannish to some of you, but like I really do believe that the deeper you get into it, something's going on here. We are so connected in this pursuit of both virtue and happiness that we have no, we don't even know it. Like we go go seeking things in isolation. We go seeking this pleasure that often is good pleasure. We don't even realize that we're connected through this process. But what if we went about it in a different way in the sense of through my striving for virtue and through my striving for pleasure as God had ordained it and engagement and meaning and all of this. I'd come back to the same place. Not that this world would be easy. Not that we wouldn't disagree. Not that all of that wouldn't go on. We understand that. But that there would run like an undercurrent with something that's so much greater, so much more sustaining. Not just for even now, although that's the point where we meet eternity, according to C.S. Lewis, but the point for what's to come and the point for all eternity after we leave this world. Through this virtue, maybe I, maybe just myself and I, and maybe all of you, could find a source of sustained happiness experienced in my mind, my body, in my heart, and in my soul. Maybe I could. Maybe I can. Maybe I have along the way. But just as this seems to be all of it, I wonder where my humanity meets his divinity. Then a figure appears, an itinerant in the distant desert, walking with sandals on his dusty feet and a simple robe upon his body. He's followed by a few, yet he is silent. He looks so simple. He seems so plain. Yet he knows anguish and sorrow and fear just as I know it too, He has felt fatigue and pain and tears. He has loved and he has lost. And then he smiles. Have I not seen his face before? Do I not know who he is? He looks at me as if to say, do you not understand that I am the confluence of all that is holy and happy and whole? In my weakness and in my pride, I look away even though somewhere in the silence of my soul i know that he is who he is but my disbelieving self swells and reminds me just how improbable his story is for if he was really just an infant just a boy just a man a savior born in swaddling clothes then i can think of no more story more astonishing than when he became like me Still, I must continue on the trail because nothing else promises what he does. Everything else seems to fall short. So transient, so concrete, he proclaims that he is the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And I must go and see. And I must know. And I must feel. And I must love. You know... Maybe it isn't what happiness I'm seeking after all. Maybe it is whose. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy. Be holy.